welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, I am excited to preach this message to you this Labor Day weekend. A couple things before we jump into it about this message. First thing is this. This is my first official sermon as your campus pastor. Here we go. This is going to be good. Thank you. Thank you. Tomorrow is also my birthday, so you're welcome for having the day off on my birthday. I just love I don't have to take a vacation day on my birthday. I just get it off. That's awesome how that works out. Uh, this is also a prelude, a prologue to the series that starts next week. Next week, we begin a series called Philippians for You, and it's a series on chapter four of the book of Philippians. And you get it, Philippians for You. Get the pun there, huh? Philippians 4, you. Oh, we, that's amazing. <laughs> so finally, I'm excited. I'm, so I'm preaching out of Philippians. I'm going to preach out of Philippians 1. I'm going to preach on just four verses this morning out of Philippians chapter 1. But I got to tell you, Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. I love this book. When I first started really getting into God's word, or I should say getting God's word into me and studying scripture, I discovered, man, I really love the book of Philippians. And this morning, I want us all to discover through this couple verses in Philippians chapter one, what uh, mature Christian living looks like in the face of hardship while being encouraged. It's such an uplifting uh, uh, book that we get to dive in and study this week and beginning the next couple weeks here. And the title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, you can write at the top of your notes, type or write the top of your notes. I'm sure of this. I'm sure of this. And if you're not taking notes this morning, you can write at the top of your notes. I'm sure of this. Thank you, 1115, for getting that. No one got that in the 830 service. They're just there like, oh, I'm sure of this. It's because they're, uh, whatever, 830. We'll get over it. But I'm sure of this. Now, I grew up in Mound five minutes away from here. And we were on Lake Minnetonka. And growing up, we had a, a 1974 Glastron speedboat that eventually lit on fire in the middle of the lake. But I'm not telling that story today. The story I'm telling you is the story of when I was in fifth grade, intertubing on a Thursday night with my dad driving the boat, driving with one of those boat rear view mirrors. He's all alone driving the 1974 Glastron, and I'm being pulled on an inner tube with my friend, Teddy, right beside me. Not my teddy bear. I actually had a friend named Teddy, and we were on the inner tube together. And we're tooling around Cook's Bay, you know, the, the bay that's right over in Surfside Park, right down the street over there. We're going around Cook's Bay, and there's a buoy in Cook's Bay that signifies don't go between the buoy and the shoreline because it's shallow and you might hit the bottom of the lake. So we're going around in circles. And what I'm about to tell you happened in the span of like three seconds, maybe even less. But I have to describe it to you. So I'm, you know, we're on the tube, you know, like, this is awesome. And I see my dad start to head towards the buoy. And I'm like, surely he sees the buoy. But he kept heading towards the buoy. And I go to my friend Teddy and I'm like, we got to get off this inner tube. So I pull the back of his life jacket. I rip him off and he and I both fall in the water. And right as our heads get above the surface of the water, I look 
just in time to see the boat zip past the buoy and the inner tube hit the buoy, go flying in the air 30 feet, and my dad slowing down. Looks behind. He does the thing after you get off the water sport device or whatever, and he drives on over. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Are you insane? He looks at me. I kid you not. I wish I was joking. He legitimately says, I knew you'd get off. <laughs> what? What dad does that? My dad does that. He was insane. He was, in, he was sure of it. And this morning, I want to preach to you a couple verses from Philippians chapter 1. You know, my dad was named after the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians. And he was sure of a couple things. In these couple verses, we're going to be encouraged this morning that we can walk away, walk away and say, I'm sure of this. But Philippians, man, I love this book. It's so encouraging. And Paul wrote it while in prison. A lot of theologians believe that Paul was in his final stop in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter to the first church that he started. This is Acts 16 says the church in Philippi was the very first church that Paul started in his whole life during his second missionary journey. And so I got to think he was really encouraged. He was really lighthearted. I mean, when he thought about the Philippian church, I think it just made him glad. And he writes this in prison and it's so encouraging. And, you know, the reason he wrote it is because there were people in the Philippian church that had sent a guy with a bunch of money to support Paul while he was in prison to pay for his needs and, to you know, support him there. And so he actually, the whole reason he wrote this book was to write a thank you note. And, you know, it's like Jimmy Fallon. It's like, Thank you, church in Philippi. He wrote a thank you note, but a four chapter long thank you note. He's putting all of our thank you notes to shame, thanking the Philippian church. And he wanted to thank them for what they had done and how they supported him. And so we're going to pick it up here in Philippians 1, 3 through 6. And this is, I'm going to just preach on these four verses this morning. And we're going to start in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. Why don't you read along with me? Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for all, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. In verse six, and I'm sure of this. Hey, there's the title of the message. How did Paul know that? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes this. And as we look at this, it's really, you know, it's, you can get the theme of there's thankfulness there. There's encouragement there. And I love how he begins in verse three. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. You know, again, Paul's in jail when he writes this. He's in hardship. He is in the middle of Rome being guarded by a Roman soldier we don't know how much longer until he was executed by the government in Rome, but he's in prison as he's writing this. And at the beginning of this note, he's thanking them in his circumstance. Can I just tell you something, church? You don't have to be thankful for your circumstances, but you can be thankful in your circumstances, okay? You don't have to be thankful for the divorce. You don't have to be thankful for the bad, awkward meeting you had at work. You don't have to be thankful for uh, the argument with your spouse. You don't have to be thankful for the disagreement and the strife that's in your home, but you can be thankful in those situations. 
You can be thankful in, uh, you can be thankful in the midst of a bad medical report. You can be thankful in the turmoil that you're going through at work, but you don't have to be thankful for it. And so Paul gives us this truth right here. And I just really believe this. We can say, I'm sure I can be thankful in whatever situation I'm going through, but I don't have to be thankful for it. I don't have to be thankful for the situation. Paul's not saying I'm thankful for prison. He says, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you while I'm in prison. You know, I have a friend that he told me about his prayer life. And he says, every Sunday, it's his Sabbath. It's his day off. It's his day of rest. He goes, you know, Dave, every Sunday, I don't ask God for anything. And I'm like, go on. He goes, I don't ask God for anything. I just spend the day thanking God for all that he's done. I thank God for what he's doing. And I thank God for the prayers that he's going to be answering. And I just thought, wow, whoa. What encouragement, man, what a way to live to take one day. Imagine what your day, imagine what your week would look like if you took one day a week to say, God, I'm just going to rest knowing that you're moving in my life. And I'm going to thank you for all that you've done. I'm going to thank you for the sunrise. I'm going to thank you for my job. I'm going to thank you for food on my table. I'm going to thank you for clean running water in my house. I'm going to thank you for the clothes that I have. I'm just going to spend the day. God, there's a lot I want. There's a lot I need, but today I'm going to just thank you for everything I have because you have given it to me and you are my God and you got me. Imagine what your prayer life would start to look like if you got in that weekly rhythm. And so Paul mentions prayer in verse four. Now we're going to jump to verse four. He says, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Now the key word here in this verse is joy. Always offering prayer with joy. You know, can I tell you joy, that word joy It's actually the Greek word chara, and it's used 12 different times in the book of Philippians. 12 different times, and it's actually predominantly used in Philippians chapter 4. That's why I'm glad and excited that we're starting this series, Philippians for You, because, man, joy is a dominant theme in that chapter. But Paul begins the first chapter, within the first couple verses, and he says, I offer prayer with joy. And we have an understanding of joy, right? Joy is not uh, uh, happiness. in our circumstances. Joy is happiness despite our circumstances. Biblical joy actually means an experience of gladness because of supernatural realities that are real in our lives despite what natural realities we may be facing. It's a supernatural experience of gladness, of thankfulness. And Paul is in prison. He's about to be killed And yet he speaks of continual prayer with joy for the Philippian church. You know, when Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew chapter seven, he says, when you pray, begin like this, our father, or it might be Matthew chapter six. I'm sorry. Some Bible person in here thinks it's six or seven. I don't know what it is. It's, but it's in Matthew. And he begins, he begins by saying, It's the Sermon on the Mount. I know that. I just can't remember what chapter right now. It's not written down. But he says, our father. He says, when you go to pray, you say, our father. Now, I'm a father. I have two kids. I have a five-year-old son, Judah. I have a three-year-old daughter, Everly. And I'm imperfect. And my wife says in the lobby, amen. She's working go kids right now. I'm not perfect, right? I'm far from perfect. I'm not omnipotent. I'm not omniscient. I'm not like, I'm not like fully like God, but God is a perfect heavenly father, right? But I'm a father. I'm a earthly father. 
And can I tell you, as an earthly father, I love hearing about my kids' day. I love hearing what they're going through. I love hearing what they're feeling. My son Judah, he started kindergarten this last week on Tuesday. And you got to believe I got home on Tuesday and I was so excited. Judah, how was your day? What made you happy today? What made you sad? Did you make your teachers happy? Did you listen? How was your first recess? How was your second recess? What did you play during recess? How was gym? Did, how was your gym teacher? Was your gym teacher cool? Who did you sit by at lunch? Are they cool? Like I just had all of these questions and I just wanted to hear my son talk to me. Sometimes we go to God with the Christmas list. God, I want this. God, I need this. God, can you do this? When God in reality as a son or a daughter who he created, he doesn't want just the Christmas list. You know, as a dad who believes I love getting Christmas lists. I love giving good gifts to my kids. But can I tell you something? I don't only want Christmas lists. I want closeness. I want to hear what's going on. I want to hear what's amazing. I want to hear what's hard. I want to hear their struggles. I want to know the doubt. I want to know the pain. I want to know the happiness. I want to know what's going on. I want closeness with my kids. And as Paul is talking about prayer with joy, I think here this morning we can say from this verse, we can be sure of the truth that we can be joyful in any circumstance with prayer reflecting and reviving that joy. Prayer is key with joy. And as we go to prayer joyfully, it, it increases our joy. It kind of just, it feeds each other. And uh, the spiritual reality that, that sparked that joy for Paul, right? This, the, the Marie Kondo sparked that joy for Paul is because of this partnership, all right? In verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He had a partnership with the Philippian church. They were partners. And this word partner that he uses in verse five is a Greek word called koinonia. We're all gonna say it together. On the count of three, koinonia. One, two, three. Koinonia. It's this Greek word that means to share and to join together, to associate one with, to be made a partner. It's also the Greek word that we get for the churchy word fellowship. Anywhere anyone heard the churchy word fellowship? Like, hey, we're going to have a time at the Harvest Festival. It's going to be a great time of fellowship after service. Hey, also for the Harvest Festival, it doesn't, it starts right after the third service and the Vikings don't play until 3.30. You're welcome, church. Done with intentionality. Be chilling in the hot tub watching the Vikings game at 3.30. <laughs> Fellowship. It's this churchy word that we get where we get together. And when I say fellowship, you know, growing up at the church that uh, I did, I loved the church I had growing up. I loved it. Um, we had a hall a room in our church building called the fellowship hall. And it was in the fellowship hall that you drank your coffee in the fellowship hall. You ate your donuts together in the fellowship hall. You talked about the weather in the fellowship hall because we're Minnesotan and we don't want to go deep with someone. We just talk about the ever-changing weather, right? You know, we talk about our misery. I'm miserable. Are you miserable? Let's fellowship together in the fellowship hall of misery, okay? But this is what the tone meant, fellowship. It actually had a lot of commercial overtones to it. Meaning that if you like, say there are two guys and they pulled their money together and they bought a fishing boat together and then they started a fishing business to make profit, to make money. In Greek, it was said that they were in koinonia with one another. They were in partnership to do something bigger. 
right? And sometimes, you know, can I just say as Christians, you know what, there is a time and a place. There is a place in Christian ministry where we get together and we share struggles and we drink our coffee and we eat our donuts together and you're having a hard time. I'm having a hard time. Let's talk about it. There's a place for that. But to say that that's only what fellowship is reduces the term of what true Christian biblical fellowship is. You see, true Christian biblical fellowship is getting together and doing something great for Jesus. Okay. That's why I love that J.R.R. Tolkien named the first Lord of the Rings, the fellowship of the ring. Because when I first, when I first saw the fellowship of the ring, I'm like, they're not just going to the fellowship hall and talking about the ring, talking about how evil the ring is and talking about, man, how God should take care of the ring. No, those guys all got together and they're like, we're going to destroy this ring. We're going to be on mission together. We're going to do something great. We're going to toss that ring into the molten lava of Mount Doom. Okay. And defeat evil once and for all. All the people who have never read Lord of the Rings, seen the movies, you're missing it right now. But that's the fellowship, is to get together and do something great for the kingdom of God. And yet as a church, I'm not talking about River Valley Church, I'm talking about the global church. We've reduced the term to just mean, let's get together and talk about our struggles. It's more than that. It's more than that. That's why we say you need to serve together. You need to be on a life team together. You need to serve in the parking lot together. You need to serve in youth ministry together on Wednesday night because there's something powerful in our partnerships when our partnerships are driven by mission. Okay. And I just think Paul, I mean, if there's anyone that could have just embodied misery loves company, I'm in prison. I'm wasting away. You're in prison. I'm in prison. Misery loves company. Let's talk about how miserable our prison is. Paul instead goes, no, 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 no. I have a partnership with the church and they're with me. And so maybe let's redeem the phrase misery loves company to mission loves company. Come on, we're on mission together and we're not gonna be on mission alone. We're gonna be on mission together. We're gonna start the life group together. We're gonna serve on the team together. We're gonna give together. Mission loves company, right? Mission loves company. I had a friend who's telling me of these missionary groups uh, or these, these, these groups in the Middle East right now. Do you know the church is just exponentially growing right now in the Middle East? You never hear about it. You don't know about it because it's all underground. But part of the reason why the church is exponentially growing underground right now are these groups that they have. They're like these accountability Christian groups. And it's almost like, it's almost like AA for like Christians living underground Christian lives in the Middle East. And they get together and they answer, they have to answer four questions. Now imagine what our church would be like if we had groups like this all over the place and we answered these four questions. The first question is this, did you daily spend time with Jesus this last week? Did you daily spend quality time with Jesus this last week? So go around. My name is Dave and um, I missed one day this last week spending time with Jesus. Okay. Then the second question is, did you proclaim the gospel to someone this week? Could you imagine if your life groups every single week you showed up to your life group and they're like, all right, who did you share Jesus with this week? Ah, man, I didn't. Okay. You didn't this last, but be praying and God's going to give you an opportunity this week. How much more we'd be praying to proclaim our faith. How much more we'd be on the lookout to share Jesus with someone. If we knew every single week, someone was going to ask us, this is what they're doing in the Middle East right now in these Christian groups. The third question is, did you pray for healing over someone this last week? 
Did you step out in faith and pray that God would supernaturally heal someone this last week? Ah, I did it this week. I I had an opportunity. I I got to pray with my cousin who's, who's going through cancer treatment. I prayed that God would supernaturally heal him. And I used, I I prayed in the name of Jesus. It freaked him out, but I did it. The Holy Spirit gave me power. The last question they use, the last question they say is, um, have you given to someone in need this last week? Have you been generous? Have you shared what God has given you? Have you blessed? You've been blessed. Have you used that blessing to bless someone else? This is what they're doing. I think it makes me think of what Bob Goff says. The author, Bob Goff, maybe in our church today, we have too many Bible studies and not enough Bible doings. It's like, we got to have true fellowship, not just talking about our misery, but talking and being on mission with one another. True biblical fellowship. And so I'm sure of this truth, mission loves company. And then our text concludes with this, verse six, Paul says, and I'm sure of this, Oh, he used the title of my message. Thank you, Paul. I used that joke before in the message and I got no laughs. And then this time I got sympathy laughs, but it's all good. This is awesome. (laughs) I'm sure of this. Come on, someone get ready to say amen. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Come on, amen. Listen, yeah, give Jesus some praise. He's doing it. Paul was confident. He was not confident in the people though. He was confident of the God over the people, that God would help them endure, that God would strengthen them, that God would preserve them and persevere them, that God would enable them to reach the goal of a lifelong committed life to Jesus Christ. And so he says, he who began a good work, he who began, he's talking about he who began. He's not talking about a leader. He's not talking about a pastor. He's not talking about someone who began the work. He's not even talking about himself who planted the church. He's talking about God. He said, God began the work. God who began the work. It's God. When it comes to a relationship with God, church, he started it. He made the first move. He went first by sending his son Jesus because he loved you so much. He sent his son Jesus to live on this earth a perfect life, never sinned once. He was crucified, murdered on a cross. And he was, he was put into a grave. And then three days later, he rose. God rose him from the dead. And it's through that death and resurrection that we can have forgiveness of sins and new life through Jesus Christ and relationship with our Father God. But it's not, I mean, you'd think it's just like, it's a New Testament thing. You go to read your Bible and like, love the New Testament, Old Testament, a little. If you will, listen to what the prophet Jeremiah wrote down to encourage the people of Israel In Jeremiah 31.3, he says, the Lord appeared to us in the past and he said, I have loved you with a love that lasts forever. There's someone in this room that needs to hear it, that God is telling you this morning, I love you with a love that lasts forever. It's not contingent on what you do or not do. It's not contingent on what you think or not think. It's not contingent on who you are, what your background is, you know, who your parents are. He says, I, who know, I made you, I love you, and I love you with a love that lasts forever. And that's from the Old Testament. Listen to what Paul says to another, in another letter to another church. In Ephesians 1, 5 through 6, he says, God decided in advance 
to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. God made the first move. God made the first move when it came to your relationship with him. You did not make the first move. You did not decide. God made the first move when he sent Jesus. You know, a hundred years ago, there was a country preacher and he went before a board of uh, uh, elderly preachers to be uh, commissioned as a pastor in a church in the country. And uh, listen to how this interview went. When they asked how he had became a Christian, a preacher replied, well, I did my part and God did his. That sounded questionable. So the learned brethren of the council asked the preacher to explain his part in salvation. And he says, my part was to run from God as fast as I could. He goes on, God's part was to run after me, catch me and bring me into his family. Man, that's a perfectly biblical answer because of all of us, we were born running from God. And unless God took the initiative to find us, we would all still be running away from him. You don't have to have a relationship uh, with God through, um, if you, sorry, if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, can I just tell you something this morning that God loves you, he chose you, he's for you, he made a way for you by sending his son Jesus. It's the name, uh, it's, it's no other name under heaven can you be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. And so I wanna give you an opportunity in a few moments to give your life to Jesus today by accepting, apologizing for your sin and confessing that you believe in Jesus Christ, that he has power to forgive you and to give you a new life. So that's how God starts it. But can I just tell you something? If you've made that decision to follow Jesus, who is so grateful that God is still moving in your life? Come on, God is still with you. He is still for you. He began the good work and the good work is still happening. Come on, God began it. He'll complete it. And right now we're in the middle of it. Right now we're in the middle of it. Yesterday I was at the state fair. Praise God. I love the state fair. It's my third time going yesterday. I just, there were so many people there and I'm like, I love this Minnesota. And I went to the dairy barn because someone told me that in the dairy barn are the best malts you've ever had in your life. Any dairy barn malt people, anyone praise. I see that hand. Praise God. And and I'd never gone in there. So I go in there with my kids and it's just a mass of people. And I'm like, where? Where's the malts? Where is this? Where am I going? And I just kind of was aimlessly walking around. I'm like, is it over here? No, is it over here? No, is it over here? And then I saw the sign. And then I saw a mass of people and it was super confusing. I didn't know where to go. And then I saw like an enter. And then I got, a, I got two kids in a stroller. I'm that guy at the state fair. Two kids in a stroller. Excuse me, sorry, running into ankles. Don't even care anymore because you're not listening to me, you know? And so I finally get in there and it's funny because the way they do it is that you have to purchase it first. You have to purchase it first and then they give you a ticket. You purchase what you get, you purchase your ice cream, then they give you a ticket and then you have to go wait in another line and then you wait in the other line and then you start moving forward. You start moving forward until you give them the ticket and the transaction is completed. Now listen, Jesus Christ pay, purchased your life on the cross 
right? When he died on that cross for you, he purchased the price. And now we're living in that line, moving forward as believers, knowing that God's with us, he's directing us, he's for, he's for us, he's moving us forward until that day of completion when Jesus Christ comes back, okay? We're gonna meet him either through death or through Jesus's second coming when Jesus comes and establishes his kingdom here on earth in physical form, right? In the new heavens and a new earth, Jesus is coming back and Paul says, God's going to hold you. God's going to be with you until that day. God's going to keep you until that day. God's going to strengthen you until that day. God's going to move you forward until that day when that work is completed and God will move us to the end. And it just makes me think about Psalm 138.8. David says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Come on, who needs to hear that? God will fulfill his purpose for me. Come on, God will do it. God is working. He's going to do it until the end. And then he, the psalmist, like he proclaims this and he goes, so don't forsake the work of your hands. I love it. I love the Psalms. And so I'm sure of this church. I'm sure of this this morning that no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're in right now, no matter what triumph, no matter what struggle, no matter what mountaintop, no matter what valley, no matter what abundance or no matter what uh, lacking, God sees it. He knows about it and he's with you in it. And I believe that he who began, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we receive this word. If you receive this word, would you just put your hands out in just a, in a sign of just receiving with your palms to the sky? Say, God, we receive this word today. God, we're encouraged by it. We're strengthened by it. God, we need to hear it, that God, you're with us, that you began the work and you are still working. God, may we be encouraged of that this morning, that God, you are working. It may feel like you're so far away, but God, we proclaim today Today, that you are with us no matter what fire God no matter what trial we are in God you're with us and you're moving us forward till the day we die or till the day Jesus comes back God for your glory we thank you that you purchased our lives with the price of Jesus's blood on that cross we love you thank you God in Jesus name everybody said aloud amen and amen would you stand up and give Jesus some praise this morning come on he's working